If you have your Bible, I want you to look at five or six scriptures, and then I'll tell a few stories, and we'll get going. I spoke in this subject. I spoke one time on this subject that I know of, and that was up in Chicago area, and it was at a college graduation of all things. But I just felt like this is something we needed tonight. But Matthew chapter number 9, we're going to kind of carry on that uh, subject of the shepherd and the sheep that we talked about this morning. And, and uh, in Psalm 23, we talked about Jesus says the, starts with S, the shepherd, and then we are his sheep, uh, the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 23 and so forth. So in Matthew chapter 9, we're just going to look at several passages that deal with this. And then we're going to give you the application. So Matthew 9, and the Bible says in verse number 36, notice what Jesus saw. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And notice the comparison. Were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he was heartbroken because he said, and he didn't just say they're lost. He said, they don't have a shepherd. They don't have anyone to lead them. They don't have anyone to protect them. They don't have anyone to feed them. And of course, that's all the things that he did to his sheep. And then if you'll also look a little deeper into Matthew chapter 26, chapter 26, and we see this. Uh, 26 and verse number 31, 26, 31, his last evening on earth. And it says here, he, he's, he's speaking to his disciples. It's, it's close to the time of the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26, 31, then said Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written I will smite the shepherd. Who was the shepherd? Who was that talking about? Jesus. Jesus was going to be crucified. It was prophesied. I will smite the shepherd. And guess what will happen? And the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And you'll see this application sometimes. Uh, you look at history. Sometimes when a pastor would die suddenly, oftentimes either they would not get a good pastor the next time, or the people were so connected to that pastor, they just didn't keep coming for anybody else. Sometimes we see this on bus routes. I remember when I was in Bible college, uh, when a bus captain would graduate and maybe go into the ministry, the kids wouldn't keep coming on the bus because they came because brother so-and-so or miss so-and-so was on that bus. Uh, they had a connection to them. So he says, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Then look at this other one here in 1 Peter chapter 5 for a moment. And of course, it kind of goes back and forth to uh, the good shepherd, the great shepherd of our souls is Jesus, of course. But 1 Peter in chapter 5, and if you just want to write these references down, you can. But verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd, it says chief, because we as leaders or we as parents, uh, we as soul winners, we would be what's called, and it's not a Bible word, but it's a Bible concept, the under shepherds. So we're not the shepherd. We don't own the sheep. We don't own our children. We don't own a ministry, but we are, we are under him. We're shepherding people 
for the cause of Christ. So he says, uh, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Then let me give you two more, please. And you've been doing great. In Acts chapter number 20, in Acts chapter number 20, the apostle Paul is speaking. He's speaking to these members and he's talking about one day he's going to have to go away. He'll, he'll be executed or martyred. And uh, so, it, so it gives them heads up here. And this is, this is so important, the application. And he says in Acts 20, verse 28, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. So we who God has given us, so to speak, some sheep, whether our children or a bus route, or a class, or friends to shepherd, or lost people to win and try to help and lead and guide. He says, take heed therefore to yourselves. So he tells us we're important because we're helping lead these sheep. So he says, pay attention to your life. Take heed to yourself. Pay attention where you're going. Pay attention what you're doing because others are following you. I still remember when my brother... Uh, he was, it was, it's so funny. And he's not all bad. I just only have bad stories about him. And so I remember he was, he was 16 and he was the church janitor. And uh, when he'd vacuumed the church, he'd put on a stack of LP out. It was the Beatles. Man, it, the Beatles were blaring. I mean, hey Jude and help, I need somebody. I mean, it's blaring through the church sound system while my brother vacuumed the church. And so, you know, they hadn't got to godly music. They hadn't taught on that yet. And so, but I still remember when he was running off his ID, he cut his, his, um, his picture out of the school yearbook and had taped it to a new ID. He turned from 16 to 21 in five minutes. And I don't know why he needed to be 21. He was going somewhere. He wanted to go, but he had to be 21. And I remember I said, I'm going with you. And he says, no, little brother, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> I said, what advice? So anyway, right here, Paul says, take heed to yourself. People who wipe out didn't take heed to their self. People who run out of joy and run out of steam and, and they're to the curb, so to speak, spiritually, they just ran out. You got to take heed to yourself. You got to look in the mirror every day and be honest and and adjust things that need to take place. So Paul says, take heed to yourselves. Then two, he says, to all the flock. What's that mean? Those that God has put you over, your family, your children, your ministries, your class, your bus route, your grandchildren, those who look up to you for advice, those who maybe you don't have a title over, but somehow they're attracted to you and they seek your counsel. They're the uh, ones that call and say, can you help me? Do hey, pray for me. Uh, that's, that's some of the flock, he's saying. Take heed to the flock. Sometimes I'll be sitting up here and I've had people ask me, Pastor, Pastor, we saw you writing furiously. Was it the Holy Spirit giving you some last a minute words to say to us? Never. It's usually I'm writing down a list of absentees. Where's so-and-so? Where's this family? Where was this family today? How come they weren't here? Man, they needed that mess. Where in the world were they? They didn't tell me they were on vacation. And this is not a communistic commune or something, but I'm just saying, a real shepherd worries. 
they worry. I, t- uh, I, I, I tell my wife anytime we travel out of state, she'll say, it is now such and such time. And she's so official at setting her clock. It is now the real time. Uh, and some of you talk like that maybe. The real time is six. But where we are, it's nine. Okay, okay. I never change my watch. When I'm in another country, I don't change my watch. Because I want to know what's going on here in Napa. I want to know our people are just getting up. I want to know our guest speaker is just getting to the pulpit. I want to know the well ministry is just starting right now. I want to know choir practice has just begun. Why? Because I want to pay attention to our flock. Our flock. Why is it important? Keep going. Acts 2, uh, 20, verse uh, 28. Right in that verse. Take heed to yourself, all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Why is it important? Because the Holy Spirit made those people look up to you. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a bus captain, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a leader to some people, maybe it's at your job and you're the crew person or uh, you're the overseer and somehow they're tied to you. He said, the Holy Spirit did that. It's not just a title. And he says, to feed the church of God. So what does a good shepherd do? They end up giving these words to those followers. It's not enough just to be the jolly good fellow and uh, to have a title. You want to be giving words from God's word to people to help strengthen them. Something that's going to last beyond you. And so we see this and then he says, well, how, why is this so important? Verse 29, because someone's after the sheep. Look what it says, verse 29, for knowing this after my departing. Paul says, I'm going to die one day. I'm going to be martyred. Shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock? He says, he, uh, he said, there's going to be wolves coming, false teachers. There's going to be false doctrines. There's going to be discouragement. There's going to be demonic oppression. There's going to be things coming in to try to get those people to quit or get them to sin. And then he says, Verse 30, also of your own selves, sometimes even in the church, shall men arise, uh, speaking perverse things, drawing disciples, uh, uh, whose side are you on? And, and I really have the truth, and, they, uh, and that kind of nonsense. So Paul is talking about feeding the flock, being a shepherd. Then look over here for just a moment. It's kind of a hard spot to find. You don't have to find it, but it's Amos chapter 3. I want to give you one more Verse before we get uh, down to the last part. Amos. Here we are. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Where are we? Amos. Amos chapter 3. This is an important verse. I thought it's real interesting. And he says in chapter 3 verse 12. Look at this. Back on the shepherd. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. Notice this just quickly. Verse 12. Thus saith the Lord as kind of a strange. Now if you don't like gross things. Put your fingers in your ears. If you can't handle it, if you can't handle blood, if you can't do it, weak stomached, you ready? As the, thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear. Now I'm kind of grossed out right there, aren't you? Why would he do that? Here's a shepherd 
And obviously a lion has grabbed one of his sheep, whether it's a mountain lion or an African lion. He's got that sheep and he has swallowed it. And all that's sticking out is two legs. And somehow it sounds like that verse, the shepherds probably killed the lion. You know, you don't, you don't fight a lion for his food. I don't, you know, I don't see it. He's running away. No, it's mine. No, it's yours. It's mine. No, I think he probably killed the lion. Now he's pulling out and all he gets is two legs. And then he reaches his hand down in his mouth and pulls out an ear. You say, that's weird. That's, that's crazy. But to a shepherd, he says, the lion got my sheep, but I'm getting back what I can. And sometimes in church and sometimes in the addictions program on Friday nights, what is it? We're trying to get back what we can. The devil devoured them. The devil got that marriage. The devil got that young person. The devil got that new convert. But we just want to get back what we can. It won't be a whole lamb and it won't be a whole sheep. But there's something always left. Always left. And when you counsel and when you talk to people who feel like I've messed up my whole life, I've blown it and I've failed, you always want to give them hope and say, ah, there's something left. There is something left that Jesus can use, and he can. And that's part of being a shepherd. Now, here's the clincher. Look over to John chapter 10, please. Say, Pastor, you've already turned to more scriptures than I read in a whole week on my daily app, the verse for the day. So, John chapter 10, and I love this. Look at this. How many of you, most of the chapters in red? Most of the chapters in red? Many of you? Okay. If it's in red... It's true. Does that help you? If it's in black, it's true. No matter what color it is, if it's the Bible, it's true. Even the white stuff in between the verses is true. (laughs) Okay, so here it is. So notice here, Jesus says this, and he's given us some character traits about a shepherd here. The shepherd is now talking about shepherding. In verse number 11, look at this. John 10 and verse 11. He gives us a comparison here and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. John 10 verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Notice he didn't say I'm one of the good shepherds. He said I'm I'm the one. He owns the sheep. He shed his blood for the sheep. He's always watching the sheep. He's restoring the sheep. He's leading the sheep. He's comforting the sheep. He's healing the sheep. He's all about you and me. All about us. Then he says, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And we know that. Verse 12, here's the comparison. But, a little background here. In Israel, aren't you glad we're not in Israel tonight? They're getting... And we don't have time to deal with it, but isn't it interesting? In just a few weeks, the whole world, it seems, has turned their backs on Israel. People who didn't even know where Israel was on a map gas the Jews, exterminate the Jews. It sounds like Hitler all over again. Why all the hatred against a little bitty country? They hate God. It's a, they hate that Bible. They hate God. It is, it is something else. Okay, back on it. You go to Israel, oftentimes you'll see shepherds on the hills. They're not usually the prime workers. Usually it's the children 
are the older people. And that's who watches the sheep for the most part. But sometimes a family would want to rear sheep. Now, uh, think for a moment. Why would people even rear or raise a flock of sheep? And I know some of you men are going to say, they taste good. <laughs> you don't eat all of them. It's for the wool. So they would shear them, have times to shear them. They would sell the wool, shear them. Some they would eat. If they were bad, they would eat them. Bad or not? Why? But Okay, forget it. Okay, I shouldn't even have said that. So the people who did not have old people to watch the sheep or young people, they would hire somebody. Needed. Shepherd. Watch sheep. Good pay. Hard ground. Warm, warm wool. Exciting action if the wolves are out. Staff provided. What's that thing? Rod. Rod provided. Guess what these people were called? Hirelings. They got hired. The shepherd owned the sheep. The hireling got hired. The shepherd, it was a calling. The hireling, it was a job. Do you follow me? Notice what he says here. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. Verse 12, he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not. They're not his sheep. These aren't my sheep. My daddy doesn't own them. I don't own them. This is a job. Follow me a little bit here. He doesn't own them. Seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep. When the battle comes, he runs. When things get tough, he gets going. He leaves. And fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. Verse 13, the hireling fleeth. Look at this statement. Because he's a hireling. And the next statement, and careth not. For the sheep, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. So know I the Father and lay down my life. See, to be a good shepherd, you don't have to be crucified for someone. Your life is your time. He's talking about willing to give your time for other people. Thank God for the bus workers that worked so hard on yesterday. Thank God for those that shuttled kids today because we had a bus that gave up the ghost. Thank God for the mechanics that worked on the buses. Yes, you know, they're given their time. Thank God for our sweet nursery workers that worked behind the scene and most of them didn't get a thank you except from the people they watched their kids. No one even knew they were in church for some, some time. Thank God for the, the choir members that are practicing when no one sees them. And so it says... He careth not for the sheep. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So what's the difference, you say, pastor, in a hireling and a shepherd? Well, I want to just say this quickly. Uh, the sheep belong to the shepherd. The hireling is just a job. Okay, quickly. Uh, how many of you have ever received poor service at a restaurant? And I don't want to hear the whole story but I want to just 
Just kind of hear something. Uh, maybe the food was bad. Maybe the service was bad. Maybe the waitress or the waiter was rude. Just help me. Somebody here. Real poor, sir. Brother T.C.? They never show up. All right, so you don't get any service. Anybody else over here? Brother Chris, looks like you was about to complain. Here, oh, God. <laughs> you wanted to complain about something else? Oh, the steak was too small because you wanted it well done. It was this big, and then it came down. Okay, okay. okay. Food, not enough food. Anybody else here? Okay, candy. So you had to stand there. They didn't even acknowledge you for 20 minutes. So you didn't matter. Okay. Anybody else here? Poor service. Poor service. Okay. Okay. Uh, I got a burrito uh, several years back. And uh, I'm not going to tell you where on Highway 29. It's on the right, right there in American Canyon. not going to give you the name. And uh, I cut into the burrito. And there it was. One of those bread ties right in the middle of it. You know, the thing that you... Twisty tied the bread. It was right in the middle of my burrito. And it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was probably clean before they put it in there. And, and I never went back. I never went back. Anybody over here? Poor service at a restaurant. There was a hair in the food. I think I remember that. And uh, anybody else over here real quick? Okay. Amanda. Oh, got it off. Oh, that was nice. Years ago, Jonathan and I were up in Washington State, and we got to go out with the speakers there, Brother Mark Smith, Johnny Pope, all these people. We went to Denny's. That was a mistake to start off with. I think they had one waitress, one waiter by 10 o'clock at night, and it was a large party, so they weren't going to treat us uh, real nice. They weren't happy we were there. By the time he got his hamburger, it was, am I exaggerating about this big around? About that big around. It just, it just dwindled down to nothing. So that's why I don't do Denny's. I'm, it, it, it's, it's just me. Okay, have you, have you ever been to a restaurant where a family owned it? A little small mom and pop place where dad's doing the c- cooking and the wife or the mom's out there. T- and, and how's your kid? And how's your grandkids? Uh, all right, get, hey, make the steak a little bit bigger. Uh, uh, this is their anniversary. And, and maybe they sang to you, and their kids bust the tables, and one of them was sweet. It was a family owned operation. They owned it. And they gave you good treatment because they wanted you to come back, and they talked to you, and they served you, and they gave you extra. Then you ever eat at a restaurant where the worker was just a worker and they didn't own it? I always do this when I go to new restaurants. I'll say, excuse me, shh, off the record, would you eat here if you were me? I kid you not. I've had waitresses look both ways. I wouldn't. Where you want to go is down the street a couple blocks and here's the name. I'm thinking, are you kidding? They're paying this girl to work here and she's telling me to go to another restaurant. That's the difference in a hireling and a shepherd. A shepherd owns those sheep. We were visiting a bus route. We were just starting many years ago the Fairfield bus route, the first Fairfield route. It was going to be one bus, 
decades before COVID, and we had all these workers getting this bus route going. And I was with Tracy Ross, who's sitting in my car. We were on the route, and, and, and the dimensions were all of Fairfield. And two Mormons were walking their bikes across the street at the light. Tracy Ross rolled his window down and said, Get off of here! Get out of here! This is my bus route! This is Fairfield! Don't bring your doctrine around here! Leave! I was embarrassed. Know what he was saying? I'm a shepherd. This is real to me. What you have is not real. These are my people. I'll never forget that. Years ago, we gave out some stakes to each bus route. and We said, I want you to figure out where your boundaries of your route are. And I want you to drive those four stakes around your route and have prayer for your route, your city. One person came back and said, Pastor, that sure did something to me. I've never even thought about that, but it is our city. A shepherd, a hireling. Every one of us is here tonight because we had a shepherd. We all had the good shepherd. But I guarantee you, if we pass the microphone around, so why are you in church on a Sunday night? There was somebody that made a difference in your life at a key point. Maybe the one that led you to Christ. Maybe the one that discipled you. Maybe that friend that kept you in church. Maybe that cheerleader that cheered you on. But you had to have a shepherd. I'll give you mine just real quick. I'll give you my wife's. My wife's was Aunt Pat. My wife grew up in that little country town in Charleston, Maine. Apple orchard, cows across the street, dairy. Not one store in the whole town. Not a red light, not a stop sign. We love going there for vacation. I love sending everybody there for vacation. She graduates from high school. Her aunt calls her. Says, we're coming up this weekend. We're picking you up for college. You're not staying in this little town and doing nothing with your life. They said, get packed up. They pulled the car up. Opened the door. She got in with her suitcase. That was huge. She didn't have to go. But she had someone that cared. Ownership. Cared. And gave their time. Her Aunt Pat was a shepherd to her. For me, it was Mrs. Vaughner. You've heard me talk about that. I'll talk about it forever. By the way, her daughter, Marcia, listens to the broadcast here. Her mom's funeral was several years ago. We did it during COVID. Right here, just me and one other person. They listened to the broadcast there in Mississippi at the funeral. I'll never forget Martha was the mother who had passed away. Marcia is the grown daughter. Had them both on my cell phone. I'm trying to make sure that the broadcast is working before we start the funeral. So I texted Marcia, can you hear me? And I sent the text. Guess what? I sent it to her mother that was in heaven. Martha, can you hear me? And I sent the text. I'm hoping she didn't answer. 
She was the one that knocked on our door and said, Bobby, that's what she called my mom. Love to have you and the boys come to church. We ended up getting saved. My mother worked Sunday mornings because dad was doing his own thing and trying to make a million dollars. Mrs. Vaughner picked us up every Sunday morning in their blue station wagon. They'd pull up on the way. It wasn't that far to church, but we just didn't walk. Brought us to church for years. I was in her second grade Sunday school class. Are you listening? When I graduated out, I had a different teacher. I still got a birthday card from Mrs. Vaughner. Fourth grade, I got a birthday card from Mrs. Vaughner. Fifth grade, different Sunday school teacher, a birthday card. Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, teen group, 11th, 12th grade, graduated from high school, went to Bible college. She never missed a birthday. I got married. My wife started getting birthday cards or phone calls on her birthday. Our kids got born. They started getting these birthday cards from Mrs. Vaughner. Three years ago, she stopped sending me birthday cards because she moved to heaven. She never missed a birthday. Know what she was? A shepherd. Hey, you were in my class in second grade. You're still mine. I still love you. I still care about you. I still uh, am passionate about you serving the Lord. That's one of her sheep. She made a difference. Mrs. Washburn, my Sunday school teacher, she became a friend to my mom. That year she was my teacher. I remember she went to Carlsbad Caverns, wherever that is, for vacation. She sent me a postcard. Back then, if you were a kid, they didn't call you mister. They called you master. I don't know why. And the little postcard, to Master Mike Ray. Having a great time on vacation, was thinking of you. See you on Sunday when I get back. Wasn't just a job. Teaching Sunday school wasn't just a job to her. It was a calling. She was thinking about me on vacation. I think of Brother Durbin. I've told the story. He's the, got the longest nose of any Baptist in history. Pinocchio was small compared to him from what I hear. He said, how do you know he had a long nose? Because a bus kid told him. Right in the middle of church, a bus kid turned around. Man, you got a big nose. <laughs> he said it about that loud. Brother Durbin said, I hate them bus kids. <laughs> I had Brother Durbin in ninth grade for Sunday school. All year, I don't believe I remember one lesson he ever taught. I know he taught because he had lessons and he had a Bible. I don't remember one lesson. Not one. I knew he was a fireman. But I do remember that summer at camp when he said, Mike, I don't see your name on the camp list. I said, I'm not going to camp, Brother Durbin. I don't need camp. Going through a stage. It lasted about 20 years, but I was going through a stage. And he said, well, I'm going to camp. I'm taking vacation. Man, you play ping pong. You'll win the ping pong championship this year. We need you on the softball team. We need you to help us win the volleyball tournament. 
I said, I'm not going this year, Brother Durbin. I don't need it. He said, well, it's not going to be the same. The next year he came up, Mike, have you reconsidered going to camp? You know, it's still several weeks away. I said, I'm not going. He said, we really wish you would go. And I think he lied when he said we, probably just he. I really want you to go. I said, I'm not going. Finally, about a week before camp, I said, Brother Durbin, if it means that much to you, I will go to camp. My life was forever changed. I had a shepherd. I had someone, it wasn't just find his Bible Sunday morning, look around for his lesson. I was on his mind during the week. Brother Durbin cared. Did he know the Bible backwards and forwards? I doubt it. But he knew who signed up for camp and who didn't. I think of Bob Smith. When I was a senior in high school, I was going to save money. I was going to go to a secular university, not live on the campus. But I was going to take some secular classes at the state university and then transfer them to Bible college. For me, that was a big mistake. 32,000 students at Lucifer State University (laughs) and one Christian that I knew of, me. First day in biology, 600 students. The professor said, evolution is true. We don't want any talk about the Bible. We're not arguing in this class. There'll be no discussion. So you Christians in this class, just keep it quiet. That's the first day. First day of speech. A guy, his speech, he held up a centerfold magazine from Playboy magazine picture. He said, now I've got everyone's attention. We're going to talk about how to mix a martini. And that was his demonstration speech. First day, LSU. After about a semester, this little light of mine, it was about blown out. I was still in church but I wasn't speaking up as much as I used to. It was so much darkness and so much water being thrown on that fire. I was still in church, but my pastor could tell that heart on fire wasn't much on fire anymore. His daughter came up to me in the lobby. By the way, never confront people in church. Talk to people away from here. Go to, go to Denny's and... You have hours waiting on your food. And his daughter came up to me, two years, three years younger than me, and she said, Mike Ray, she said, stop breaking my daddy's heart. I'm looking around, who was listening to this conversation? She said, I got up this morning, my daddy was on his knees in the living room crying and calling your name out in prayer. He's so worried about you. It was like a knife twisted and licked off. I was convicted. And I knew I had a leader who was praying for me. I had a shepherd. Throughout the years, he's called me. He's 81 now. Had a fall. 13 stitches right over his head. His wife, Diana, now has Alzheimer's. 
He's her provider. That's Karen Smith's parents. She's now back and forth helping both of them. He had an accident, sawing. He was building a porch swing, cut off three of his fingers and his thumb. He's got a cane. The other day when he fell, had the 13 stitches. Well, he, he's bleeding. He held his nub up here trying to stop the bleeding. Had to drive himself to the emergency room, sit in the emergency room, blood dripping off his hand and off his eyebrow. He's still preaching at churches on Sundays. Just amazing. But I wonder how many times at key moments he's called and said, Hey, heard you're going through a tough time. Just want you to know you've got an old pastor who's praying for you. I love you, man. I'm pulling for you. I don't know how many times he texted or called when my wife was in the hospital. I was his preacher boy 52 years ago. And to him, I still am. I miss Brother Cavanus. If you ever got close to Brother Cavanus, there was never a light, break the ice conversation. If he knew you any at all, it was never, hey, how you doing? How's your mom and them? You know, that's light stuff, mom and them. That's one word. How's your mom and them? With Brother Cavanus, if you ever got around him, and said, how you doing? Man, I'm doing good. Really? How are you doing? What do you mean? How's your marriage? How's your walk with God? How's your Bible reading? How's your soul winning? How's your service? What are you doing in the church? The Lord's coming. What are you doing? And it was like, Pretty soon your feet are kind of, you know, you know, the fire's kind of and conviction's coming up. And your heart's palpitating. It's like, Brother Cavanus, would you like to go out to eat with somebody else? <laughs> it was never lighthearted. You didn't come back, man, we had a fun time. You didn't have a fun time. You were dissected. He, he did surgery during the meal. You know why? Because he cared. Wasn't always fun. He just wanted you to cross the finish line and get a crown. Several times in the last 10 years, he called me at key times. What are you going to do? You got to cross the line. We're, we're in this thing together. I've still saved his texts. They're all printed out. He was a shepherd. A shepherd. Say, well, pastor, what's that mean? We're probably all shepherds. But what kind of shepherd? Somebody needs you. They need you. You've got to be strong. You've got to finish. You've got to take heed to yourself. The Holy Spirit has given you that influence in their life. Let's not lose a one. Brother Cavanagh's motto, all of us, all the way. Jesus in John 17, his high priest prayer, he said, Father, I've kept all of them that you gave me, all the sheep you gave me, except that one, the son of perdition, referring to Judas. He said, I kept them all, except that one. I don't know what the Lord's stirring on your heart right now. 
we could probably pass a microphone and say, who was your shepherd at one time in your life? And it's not always just one. Maybe there were several in different stages of your life. But years to come, someone needs to say our name and say, they were a shepherd in my life. They helped keep me on the path because it wasn't a job. It was a calling. They were a real shepherd. Be a shepherd, not a hireling.